Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit to draw our hearts into the promise of God. Thank you for sending Jesus, uh, Lord, for presenting him to us so that he could present us to you, which he is doing at this very moment on our behalf. Lord, we're surrounded by you and by each other, and because of that, Lord, we can do all things through you who strengthens us. Amen. Amen. Today we commemorate Simeon and Anna, and uh, that's where Father Eric is this morning, actually. We have a, a congregation in our uh, diocese that is called the Congregation of Saints Simeon and Anna. And uh, Eric is there this morning blessing them and praying for us too and as our prayers remain with him. And uh, this is indeed a, a rich passage that, that teaches us a great deal about what it's like to belong to God's family. Um, for some of us, it's, it's been a hard week, I know, and, or a hard season. Um, some of us might wonder or feel like we're in a bit over our heads. Do you feel a little bit like that or know somebody who feels like that or care for somebody who feels like that? Um, I'm especially aware of that and, and I find a great deal of solace um, for those of us who are experiencing that in this passage this morning. And I was preparing that, uh, the, our kind of exploration of the text this morning with those of us like that in mind. Because today we see how God's promises come through very ordinary people. Today we see how God brings our, our lives so squarely and firmly into the framework of tremendous hope and promise. Tremendous hope and promise and joy. Joseph and Mary and Simeon and Anna, these aren't actually not remarkable people in the world's eyes. They're tremendously remarkable in the context of God's people, but they're very ordinary people. They're not wealthy, they're not powerful, they're not elite, they're not well-educated, they're not urbane. There's nothing remarkable about them. They're as ordinary as, well, white bread or whatever is ordinary. That used to be an expression. I don't know if it still is or not, but I mean, here we have a very young, newly married couple. I mean, hardly out of their teens if they are. We have an old man and an old woman. It doesn't seem like a cast of characters that is going to change the world. And a baby, of course, but I'm kind of letting that one come slowly because, of course, he's the star of the show. But I'm thinking about the people around Jesus especially. In themselves, they have very little. But through them comes so much. That's what makes the story in part so powerful. So let's look at these ordinary, extraordinary people. First of all, when we look at our passage, we see that Joseph and Mary are very devout. They're very devout people. They're faithful people. It's hard actually to draw on a word that's just fully positive because in our culture, these words seem kind of just either remote or a little hypocritical. When we talk about people who are devout or pious or faithful, our culture doesn't value those things. 
I mean, like you, I may watch a little bit of the football game, all right? We watch the Super Bowl not because these are ordinary, devout, and pious people. <laughs> In fact, so much is that not the case, sometimes I wonder if we should be watching the Super Bowl. Um, our culture isn't dialed into that, so if I say somebody's devout, you're like, oh, you know, I wouldn't want to hang out with those people. I'm kind of musty. Um, but that's not the case. I, I want us to see, number one, that obedience to Torah or God's instruction is good and why. And why it's something that we want to renew ourselves in. First of all, obedience in God's world is very good. It's supremely precious. It bears extraordinary fruit in our lives. We are not, we, God loves us even if we're not obedient, all right? I mean, we're like babies. We're precious. However, obedience just brings so much fruit in our lives. It opens so much opportunity to us. Those of us who are parents, um, we know that when our children, in, in the best sense of the world, when we're healthy, all right, when our children are obedient, there's so much more that can be done. The vacation is just so much more enjoyable when everybody's working together, all right? Obedience is not a bad thing. It, it like opens the door to all the good stuff. Mary and Joseph are like that. God gave Torah, which is the, po I like that word because it doesn't click into the negative associations of the law, all right? The law of the Lord is a joy to the Jewish people. And, and uh, they sing of its praise. They say, it's like honey in my mouth. That's the law, all right? The Torah is the Hebrew word for that. It's God's instruction. And when Israel, and the Torah, let's just speak in round numbers, is delivered, you know, 1,500 years before the time of Jesus. It took that long for God to mold the clay of Israel into a group of people that flourishes. And there were lots of bumps along the way. All right, but it's precious to belong to a group of people that is able to align with God's best way of living. And we're gonna see that at work here in the lives of Joseph and Mary. By the way, probably teenagers are in their very early 20s, okay? So you can be very young and you can be very obedient. You can be very young and you can be directly connected to the power and purpose of God. You can. Not because you have any other attributes than just your heart. So they follow God's instruction and, it, and Luke kind of rolls through what they do. So to Jewish people, this is all really great. Like, you know, in our day and age, you know, when your kid has a birthday or somebody else has a birthday, you wanna know, well, like, what did you do? Um, oh, we went to the fun house or whatever. Or if you're like me, you avoid asking any of the questions because it's very stressful. <laughs> birthday parties. Um, anyway, uh, they were, uh, they, they circumcised Jesus on the eighth day and one of the key texts, if you want to look this up and you can just see how they're aligning with Leviticus chapter 12, which has the instructions for what a woman is supposed to do after she gives birth. Uh, just as a little side note, for those of you who wonder why, what's this whole impurity thing? Because Mary's impure. That doesn't mean it's just sinful. 
Right? It just means that in the context of Torah, this is kind of an interesting little side note. God pays kind of close attention when there's a transition from one thing to the next. It's kind of an interesting feature of something that God pays attention to. So thresholds or boundaries, when they're crossed, they can be very significant. Um, so when you mix things, all right, God sometimes will draw attention to that and he'll say, don't mix those things. Don't mix, well, today, the way that Jewish people keep kosher, meat and milk. That's a long story there. Or the kind of threads you weave together. Or, sorry to get too graphic here, but it's all over the Old Testament, when there are emissions of bodily fluids, and I won't say anything more about that, uh, there's all kinds of laws around that. And so those are like, why? That's so weird. Well, God is training up people to say, you know, there are markations in our bodies, in our spirits, in our family, in our culture as Jewish people, and when you step from one place into another or when some threshold is broached or when there's something that gets mixed, you you pay attention to that. It's just an interesting thought um, about how God lifts out the truth and integrity of things. So childbirth has all kinds of things going on there physically, emotionally, spiritually, and so there are ways in which you process through childbirth that require you to connect with God, to welcome his instruction into that process so that you don't just kind of steamroll through the whole thing and come out the other side in absolute dismay or confusion. So it's a gracious thing, and Mary uh, is following Leviticus chapter 12 plus other uh, rabbinic um, expressions of that passage, and she is doing what she must do in order to become ritually clean. And so Jesus is circumcised on the eighth day. They pay attention to name him according to what the angel Gabriel had said to name him in chapter one, verse 31. There's the purity following childbirth. They're bringing Jesus to Jerusalem, which is an aspiration. If Jewish people can do that according to Exodus 13, they should, and Joseph and Mary do. They offer sacrifices for Mary's purification according to Leviticus chapter 12. Interestingly, there's two ways of offering sacrifices, one for people who have financial means and one for those who don't. So if you have financial means, you offer a lamb. If you don't, you offer birds because they're more affordable. And this is what Mary and Joseph do. They have birds that they offer for their sacrifice. So they're of simple means. But the purpose of this passage isn't simply to lift up the obedience and piety of Joseph and Mary, but to show the purpose of their obedience, the results, the fruitfulness of it. And here, is, and there's a lot of reasons why. Number one, just in the narrative, it, it carries us forward into the story of Jesus. So we know there's more coming, right? Because we see, wow, um, Mary and Joseph are totally dialed in to the, to the Jewish drama there's no question after reading this passage where they're coming from, all right? So uh, it propels the story forward so that we can see how it is that Jesus is coming forth in this drama. But from a personal point of view, um, their faithful expression of faithfulness to Torah, what it's doing is it's integrating their lives into the promise of God because God didn't just call together the, the people of Israel to be obedient so that he could feel real powerful. 
man, have I got an asset. You know, I've got these people who will do whatever I say. You know, that is not the point. Obedience is not just to please God. I mean, it pleases God, but not in that framework. He, he's not just simply asking people to show him how good he is in, in that way, of, in that demeaning way. Rather, he's bringing the world forth to, to make all things new. Please do read the last chapter of the Bible if you haven't. It's the grand picture coming to fruition of what it's like to be living in a new world. It, and we don't even know what happens after that. Like that, this book ends and a new one will begin. And it's going to be magnificent. It's the real life that this one is working towards. And the way that God gives Torah to Israel is done in such a way so that they're constantly reminded that this isn't it, but we're working forward to the renewal of all things so that God can bring healing and restoration and shalom, which is a magnificent Bible word that we translate often as peace, but shalom means everything's the way it's supposed to be in God's eyes. And we're on this journey towards that. And so yes, life is hard here. It, things get confused, things get broken, people hurt, we suffer. And it's overwhelming at times. And God is giving Israel the gift of knowing that there's something deeper than our own suffering, which is the promise of God, now being made manifest in Jesus himself. So, the, the Joseph and Mary and Simeon and Anna are actually shaped in such a way that they can be open to the promise of God in their lives. They're prepared. God has prepared in them because of their obedience the capacity to receive a word that's deeper than anything they've been through or ever will. So Simeon could say to Mary, a sword is going to pierce your soul and we'll get to that in a minute. But the reason that's not a crushing word is because she's already surrounded by joy, by joyful people, by a joyful God, by the joy of God himself in Christ. And that's what our devotion will do. To the extent that we're faithful in our worship, to the extent that we're faithful in our obedience, it just gives God more capacity in your life to bring forth in you and through you the answer to your prayer, the, 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 the feeling of being supported in a time of grief, the sense of presence in a time of loneliness, hope on behalf of somebody we love when it doesn't seem like there's any, any more hope for them. Where does that come from? If, if we're never connecting to God, then we're just gutting it out. We're wishing. We're just wishing that that problem will get better. But that hurts. We're, we're, we're just barely making it. And God loves it just as much. But the more we give him, the more that we can receive. That's how it works. To him who has, Jesus says, more will be given. And we can see just how deeply God was able to bring forth the expression of his promise in these very ordinary people. That's the purpose. Um, that's how God designed it. And in fact, 
uh, this is, God says this even in, in, in Exodus verse 13, which is one of the sources for uh, presenting your firstborn to God. God doesn't say present your firstborn, it's my rule. All right, he actually gives a description, and this is just very interesting in chapter 13, um, where this law is given, present your firstborn. And then um, in verse 14 of that chapter, uh, Moses says this, when in time to come your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, God just likes to do whatever he wants to do, and, and you just gotta do it. No, he says, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. And he goes on to explain that because he took the firstborn of the sons of Egypt, he requires the firstborn to be dedicated from every Jewish family. It's a beautiful expression that every time a firstborn is delivered, there's a reminder that God is in the process of saving the Jewish people. That's why we do these things. And you can see that at work uh, so movingly. And I want to encourage us to renew our sense of obedience to Christ, to renew our, act our actions of worship, of meeting together, of praying on a regular basis. Not just simply because it's the rule, but because it's giving you more and more of yourself to God for his work to bring more and more confidence that his promise is going to succeed in your life, because it will. And we can see now as we move forward in the passage with the entry of Simeon now, just how much God is behind us, because all of a sudden we see the Holy Spirit working. And if you ever want to know if God is triune, you'll see that at these major inflection points, you're going to see God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit collaborating in, in these marvelous ways to, to claim God's will in a person's life. And you'll see that here. They're in the temple of God. It's the very heartbeat of God in Israel. It's where the Holy of Holies is. And, of course, Jesus is there as a baby, he's the center of the story, and now you see the Holy Spirit kind of setting fire to the kindling. There you have Mary pondering the work of God in her heart, and you have Joseph, the faithful man, ethical, dependable, strong. You have Simeon, the prophet, and you have Anna, the prophetess, people who have been waiting on God, and now the Holy Spirit comes and lights the match to that kindling, and what comes forth is so beautiful. You have the, the reaffirmation of God's promise comes forth right up in that fire of the Holy Spirit. So you'll see that the Holy Spirit um, is, is uh, moving in uh, Simeon. Um, uh, the Holy Spirit was upon him the Holy Spirit comes uh, upon him and, and moves him into the temple, and then the Holy Spirit fills him with this song. And so you can, see, uh, you can see how the Holy Spirit is active here, and you can be assured he's active in your life always. In fact, one of the primary purposes of the Holy Spirit is to bring the presence of Jesus Christ visible or manifest. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit isn't there just to kind of do magic, the Holy Spirit is a person, not an energy. He's personal. And the Holy Spirit is God the Spirit. And when he's at work, what happens is we see Jesus better. That's why you have the Holy Spirit resting on Jesus at his baptism, for example. 
and there are other inflection points, and we're seeing it again here. All of a sudden, we're having Jesus presented, and lo and behold, there's the Holy Spirit bringing that to life. You can be assured that the Holy Spirit is at work in your life, bringing the presence of Jesus visible to you, manifest. You are never without the presence of Christ, not for a second in your life, never. And the Holy Spirit is at work wherever the obstacles and breakages are in your inner world that keep you from seeing the presence of Jesus more clearly or feeling him more strongly, you can rest assured that the Holy Spirit is not gonna let up on removing that obstacle, on giving us more and more opportunities to experience the presence of Christ. He's doing that. And I love Simeon's response. The ministry of the Holy Spirit in Simeon is very active and it's very physical. And, and I love the way that... Um, that you can see this in the, in the life of Simeon. There's a lot of action and a, such a compact, short couple of verses here. First of all, you know, the Holy Spirit reveals something to, to Simeon. Simeon comes into the temple. He kind, of wa- you know, he kind of walks in. He takes Jesus up in his arms. He blesses God with his mouth. He speaks and sings this song. He blesses Mary. There's so much activity in this man. He's very physical. This is a robust, vigorous man filled with the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit be like that in you. The Holy Spirit will not move in you and somehow bypass your body. It just doesn't happen. I can't even imagine how that would happen. You know, you know I'm, I, I'm better now. You know, no, it's going to move you. It's going to activate you. Let that happen. You know, move your legs. Move your hands. Open your mouth. Confess you know, expect the Holy Spirit to be working through you and in you to illuminate yourself so that you, the real you, is actually changed, not just an idea of you in your mind. You know, oh, I, I really had some bad thoughts and I thought about it really hard and, I, and the Lord helped me and now I think differently. You know, okay, you know, that I've lived so much of my life like that. You know, we ought to expect the Lord to bring a softening and a strengthening and a physical, visceral thing. That's because we're embodied. Don't be afraid either when you're, well, filled with the Spirit to use your body on behalf of other people. Speak to them. Affirm them. Bless them. Lay your hands on them. Hug them. You know, we're taught in our culture to do exactly the opposite most of the time you know, because we're so broken, we have, our boundaries are broken. We can hardly hug people with all kinds of, you know, but spirit-filled people don't do that. Spirit-filled people use their bodies for other people's good. We need that. So the Holy Spirit's active in Simeon's life, and Simeon's speech, just like Mary's song and Zechariah's song in the preceding chapters, you can, if you have your Bibles, you can flip over and you'll be able to see that Mary has a very beautiful song. And John the Baptist's father has a very beautiful song. And now Simeon has a very beautiful song. And these are similar in several ways. First of all, they're very intimate. The, so, the Lord has magnified my soul, says Mary. Here, Simeon is saying something very personal. Now you are letting your servant depart in peace. I mean, that's the dialogue. 
like he's just talking to God right there. I mean, first words out of his mouth aren't some kind of display to everybody. This is deeply personal. You can tell that Simeon and God have been having this conversation a long time. And you never get the impression that Simeon's upset. He, he, he has had a ministry of waiting for something. But that ministry of waiting, whatever it was, wasn't crushing to him. It just increased his sense of anticipation. How could that be? Because he was with, God was with him, waiting with him. That's why. Simeon wasn't left on his own waiting. He, he was with God waiting for God's plan to unfold and, and it was energizing him but you could feel the burden of it too. Like there's a sense of triumph and work well done. Now you are letting your servant depart in peace. That's their thing. What's your thing? You have a thing. You have a burden. You have a passion and there's a conversation, and, and it's going to take shape in the context of your own life for as long as you live. And, you know, as we know from the tragedy of Kobe and his daughter and, and the other people on that plane, we, we don't know. I mean, that has really shaken people. It shook me, too. I mean, you know, because he's such a well-known figure, Kobe Bryant, the basketball player that died with his daughter and other parents and children in that plane crash, the helicopter crash. But it, it shocked people because he's strong. Like, nobody's better than Kobe Bryant. I mean, except for Michael Jordan, but, but Kobe was a star. <laughs> and, and, uh, and to see he, you know, and his beautiful daughter, it's just so tragic. We don't know the hours of our days, but that in God's world, you know, he's accomplishing something in us. And you need to have that conversation with God. You need to bring it out into the open with him that thing that is a burden to you, that is a care for you. Partly you become to identify your strengths and your gifts by knowing what it is that bothers you and what you care about. Bring that to the Lord. Now you are letting your servant depart in peace. These are intimate, personal, relational words. Then, just like in the other songs, again, we're talking about our bodies. He says, my eyes have seen. It's not just simply poetic. He's bringing his whole self into the vision. He doesn't say, I see. He says, my eyes have seen your salvation. He's all caught up in it. It's a beautiful expression. He, he's all there in this moment of seeing the fruition of his passion come to life in the baby that he's holding in his very hands. And then, just like the Lord will do with us, he steps forward into the very promise of God himself. That's the beautiful thing. He says, my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory for your people Israel, the covenant promise that through the nation of Israel all the world will be blessed and when that comes to fruition, Paul says we can't even imagine how good it will be. We, we, we can hardly even imagine it. John has to help us in the Revelation, in Revelations chapter 21, just to get a taste of it. And you see what, what a moment of wonderful joy for Simeon because he's, he's come to the end of his own journey and yet he's delivering his work into the hands of, of others who will carry it forward to its consummation. 
Is that not a wonderful thing? Can you, can you see why the joy capacity is there in Simeon to turn to Mary now and deliver a hard word? It's not going to overwhelm her because she's in the presence of a man who is full of joy, full of joy. And of course that joy is coming from the source of joy itself, from Jesus and the action of the Holy Spirit in the presence of God the Father. It's a great gratitude memory. For those of you who have been working on gratitude, it just doesn't get much better than this one. Um, it's all there. The personal relational language, the physical description, the, the listening to the promise of God. God is giving you this song in your heart too. And you can sing it even when the lights are off inside. It doesn't make it less true. So Joseph and Mary, they marvel. They're good at marveling. Mary's good at pondering and marveling and listening and she's not in a rush when the Lord gives her a word to figure it all out. She receives it. She just receives it. And sometimes we have to do that just to slow down and, and receive it because Simeon now is stepping forth into his vocation as an elder. What elders do is they bless. That's what they do. They look at these younger people and they say, ah, gosh darn it, it's hard for them. But you know what, it was hard for me too and God was good and you're going to make it. You're gonna make it. It's not foolishness. He's not being a Hallmark card here. He's not saying, oh, God's got, you're gonna just be awesome. No, I mean, Joseph, I don't know what happened. Nobody knows what happens to Joseph. Does he die early? He, he just, we just don't know. You know, Mary, Mary has her soul pierced which we don't exactly know all that that means, but it's probably connected to, to the, the experience of seeing her son bring crisis into the very heart of the Jewish people, which is his prophecy here, that this son is gonna have it hard. Nobody is gonna have it harder than him. Now, that would be a hard word for me to bear about my own children. Um, and Mary will be standing before the cross watching piercing. And, and Simeon's not foolish. He's not trying to be dumb or stupid or sentimental, which to me is the worst enemy of, of our faith. All right, he's being downright honest. And yet, why isn't that, that, why isn't that terrible? Because the capacity of the promise and the knowledge of its fulfillment is so alive in Simeon and in Anna. I'm just not gonna have time this morning to talk so much about Anna. Um, she's just as tremendous. But it's the same principles at work if you want to, to read that later. But you can see there's hope because Simeon knows what God is doing and he can minister, and that's why his blessing is credible, because he sees something. And older people, we see something in younger people, and we need to say that. We need to be okay with saying it and being able to tell the truth at the right time and in the right way. The truth comes disclosed to Mary. She's not alone. Remember who she's with. She's with her husband. She's with Simeon. She'll be with Anna. She's in the presence of God in the temple. She's with God's people in Jerusalem. She's filled with the knowledge of his will and Jesus is right there. And that's how it is for us. 
when we're in a moment of needing the blessing, of needing the presence of the Lord, you will not find it solo. You're gonna find it by being with. It's always relational. This is not an exercise in developing equilibrium or reducing anxiety or being well. Those are all good things. It's all part of self-care. But what we're talking about is always relational. You must be with Christ, who is always with you, by the way, and you must be with other people in the right way, at the right time, but remember, we're part of a family. We're part of a body. And the ministry of the Holy Spirit is bringing those things together. So I just want to, to encourage us who are feeling overwhelmed or, or just, just grieving over a circumstance or a situation where we can't see the end. And in, and in fact, there may be some hard things that are gonna happen and we can see it and we can't stop it. But just know that ordinary people like us. We're being brought into God's purpose. It's what he's doing in your life. He will not stop doing that. He's bringing you into your own integrity of your life, and he's bringing your life into the bigger picture and purpose of God's people. And that will have meaning over time. For Simeon and Anna, they were very young. I'm sorry, I meant to say the opposite. I was jumping ahead. They're very old. Joseph is very young. There's a continuum here of God's taking care of each of us in our life, but nonetheless, there's an integrity to each life. God accomplishes his will through his people, but remember, he's so much more powerful than any one of us. It's not up to us in the sense that we're alone or solitary. God brought Simeon at the right time God brought Anna just at the right time. They didn't have to figure it all out. We are never, ever left alone. It's a blessing to us that Jesus became a man. That was the point of our reading in Hebrews, that he's been tempted in all manner like all of us have been. Jesus is our man. Remember, he's the star of the show. He's the hero. He's our Lord and Savior. He's our friend. He's our intercessor. He's our our rock. So I'll just close by being reminded of the words of of Peter to us. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Amen.